0: greetings earthlings and aliens it's your boy amir aka the magic man and you are listening to paperbacks and soundtracks well 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 you came back this is episode number four so thank you for joining me once again on this journey uh i'm having a great time just you know reading these comics and listening to the music and bringing this information to all of you so Thank you once again just for, for joining your boy and rocking with me. Uh, I think we have a pretty dope show in store for you today. Um, we got Venom, number nine, written by Donny Cates, fire. We got a new book, Riri Williams, uh, The Ironheart Story, coming out of Marvel Comics, written by a new writer. Eve L. Ewing, another fire book, and then we got Gideon Falls coming from Image Comics, written by um, Jeff Lemire, and you know that that book has just been on fire for them. And you know how much I love my independent books, so yeah, we got some dope books for you. We also got some nice throwback music for y'all today. Uh, we got some from Common. We got some from Kid Cudi. And we even got some from Rick James. So let's get into it, man. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Peace. All right, man, let's get into these books, man. We got Venom number nine coming to you from Marvel Comics, written by Donny Cates, art by Ryan Stegman. And I just want to give a shout out to Frank Martin and J.P. Mayer. They are uh, part of the coloring team. So what essentially happens is you have an artist, Ryan Stegman. He does all the penciling. He draws everything. He makes the scenery. He just builds this world. You know what I'm saying? But then you have these guys that come in and they add You know what I'm saying? And these guys do an excellent job of bringing this book to life. Great job by that art team over there working on Venom. Donnie Cates, you the man. Keep doing your thing. So, okay, so let's get into the story. So, the last time that we talked, I pretty much gave you a summary of what was going on in the Venom world. You know what I'm saying? I gave you a nice little up-to-date to kind try and catch you guys up to what's going on in the Venom world. So we ain't doing that this time. You know what I'm saying? What we're gonna do is we're gonna dive into issue number nine. And when we dive into this book, we basically we see uh Eddie Brock on the bus riding to San Francisco, California, where he is from. And the reason why he's going there is because the symbiote that is connected to his body, that is in his mind, body, and soul. Just controls pretty much everything that Eddie is as a person and his thoughts. This symbiote has pretty much messed up all his thoughts, man. He's having flashbacks, he's having memories that just don't make sense, they're not complete, and he wants to find out what happened in his childhood, what's going on with his family, and he just wants to learn more about himself. So, what better place to do this? then go, to go home and go see your father. But the problem is Eddie and his father do not get along and Eddie is already ready for this battle that's going to happen with him and his father. He gets to his dad's house, his dad doesn't even let him in the door. You know what I'm saying? They arguing back and forth. His dad's basically like, you need to get the hell out of here. You and that monster that's inside of you. I don't want to see you again. And he basically disowns Eddie, you know, and Eddie's just like, you know, damn man, like we don't have anybody else. We don't have mom anymore. We don't have Mary anymore. Or, you know, my sister. You know, and he's just like, I don't care. I don't, wanna, I don't want anything to do with you. But in the meanwhile, while he's saying all these things, he's also dropping bombs on Eddie that don't make any sense. Like, certain people that were in Eddie's life, his dad doesn't even know. So he's like, what the hell? Like, uh, did these people exist? Like, he's just so confused, you know what I'm saying? And he starts to get enraged, you know? And he's trying to hold it back, you know what I'm saying? He's trying to keep Venom from coming out. And going off on his dad again and it's it's just it's just too much for him so he just he can't take it anymore and he just leaves you know and he leaves with no answers and we all know how that feels you know what i'm saying when you're looking for answers and you feel like you know where to go but nothing is resolved and i feel i feel bad for eddie man because essentially in the first story arc The way it ends is like he doesn't have a connection to his symbiote anymore. And, you know, that's like his best friend. You know, he knows everything about Eddie. He's in his head at all times. They can even talk to each other. It looks a little crazy, but they can talk to each other. You know what I'm saying? And he doesn't have that. His world is pretty much dark. You know what I'm saying? Nobody's there. And he just wants somebody to reach out to. And this might have happened... Because at the end of the story, I'm not going to give it give too much away. But at the end of the story, uh, someone finds Eddie. He's Eddie's like chilling in the alleyway, man, just down on his luck. And somebody comes up to Eddie and is just like, "Yo, you were at my house today, and or yesterday, and we need to talk about your dad. Your dad, yo, like straight up, we need to kill him." And that's how the book ends. And you know me, like, I'm just like, oh my goodness, man. Like, for real, like, Donnie Cates and the team do a great job of pulling you into this, to this Venom world, man. Like, he does, he just does a great job of just capturing the emotion, and just like just pulling you into the story and you get lost in this world and it's just a wonderful wonderful story to read uh if you are new to comics this is one where you want to start this is a book where you want to start with like venom is a good starting book and if you if you've been reading comics and you're not reading venom you need to go get yourself checked out because you're missing out on a great story so i can't wait until the next story Um, I think it comes out next month or something like that. And I'm just ready. Like, this book is never leaving my pull list. Until Donnie Cates is done with this story, it's going to be one that I'll be reading first every time I get it. You know? So, yeah, that's it for for Venom. But the next book we have is one that I've kind of been waiting for for a while. It's something that's been, you know, talked about for a little bit. And it is Ironheart. It's coming out of Marvel Comics. And it's the... The first, uh, solo story for Riri Williams, and she's like the new Iron Man, yo. She's a young, black teenage girl from Chicago who is smart as hell, yo, like, She's like she's just as good as an engineer as Tony Starks, who is the original Iron Man. And essentially, when we first see Riri, it's in the Invincible Iron Man story about two years ago or something like that, two, three years ago, and it's in issue number seven. And we see her in an Iron Man suit that she built herself. And she built this on the MIT campus. And like I said, she's only fifteen years old, so for her to be on campus at MIT, the, the girl is just a genius, man. And she built her she built her suit based off of scraps around the campus, you know what I'm saying? In her dorm room. So right there, it's like if you don't you know fall in love with this character just based off of that part, I can't I can't help you, but I know I did. And she kind of carried that story on her own like brian michael bendis was writing it i'm not really sure where he was trying to go with the story but it, it was a long drawn out process but it came to an end and now we have this new book and it's written by eve l ewing and the artwork is by kevin labranda and also by uh luciano vesicchio I hope I pronounced that right, I apologize if I didn't. But, you know, it's by this great team. The artwork is fantastic. The story is very good, and I believe this is Eve's, uh, Eve L. Ewing's first uh, comic, and, you know, for her to get her hands on um, this young character is pretty dope, you know what I'm saying, for it to be her first character. Like, getting this passed on from brian michael bendis is a big torch to carry and i think she does a very good job in this you know in this first story um when we when you open the page of the book basically you see riri flying in the air in her iron uh, heart suit and she's just thinking you know what i'm saying she's just up in the air away from everything and she's just thinking about her life and all the great people that she has lost you know she lost both her fathers her, her her dad, dad, her blood dad was killed and then her mother remarried and her stepfather was killed and both these men had a great influence on her life. So along with lo- uh, losing those two great men, she lost her best friend, somebody that they, you wouldn't think that they would mix but they were just like peanut butter and jelly. And she lost her at, and her friend was like 15 years old and it was all due to senseless violence, you know? in chicago so she's up there just thinking like why am i the one that's here you know what i'm saying like why do i have an opportunity to be ironheart and save the world and do all these great things you know i want I, why why wouldn't it be them so you know after she's done thinking and everything she goes back down to her lab and she comes there and it's a bunch of people in there you know, scientists and whatnot there for a conference that's going to be held on her on her campus at MIT. And yes, MIT does know that she is the uh, Ironheart. And they gave her a lab because they want to be a part of this great legacy because she invented this, uh, you know, this whole suit that she wears on their campus. So, you know, they want to be a part of it. So they bring all these people into her lab and kind of make her like a show pony type of thing. And she ain't feeling it. You know what I'm saying? Like she just wants to be left alone with her thoughts, creating all these cool inventions and just going about her business and, you know, going to save the day when she's called which actually happens in the middle of these people visiting like she has to go save the day and it's really cool to see her in action um she's going against like an old foe of spider-man um clayton cole uh he was like a scientist also uh his name is his uh villain name is clash or something like that i mean he's he's like a like a b-list c-list uh villain so i mean it wasn't like a big deal but he did kind of drop some bombs on her as far as like being like um like a show pony for uh for for mit like he was in a similar situation for parker industries so he kind of knows what she's going through as far as like everybody just using her for her, her intelligence, so he kind of, like, drops some of those bombs off, but eventually, she, you know, drowns him out, figures out how to beat him, because she really uses her mind when she's out there in the battlefield, and she defeats him, so, you know, cool, we get to see that, but what it gets really deep when she gets a phone call from an old friend, his name is um, Isaiah, oh, no, 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 excuse me, Xavier, Xavier, and She gets a phone call from him and basically he tells her, like, you know, my mom was talking to your mom and they're kind of worried about you because you're up here all alone and, you know, you're fighting and, you know, you just, you're not really taking time out to be, you know, a kid. And she takes offense to that, but, you know, Xavier pulls it back and he gets her to engage in a conversation and they sit there, they talk for hours about uh, music and TV shows, like they both love Star Trek and all that stuff, and it's just a really cool conversation. But what you get from this conversation is that even though Riri is a superhero, she's super intelligent, she's got all these great things going on, she's a beautiful young lady, but she's like missing this interaction with people that are her age, you know what I'm saying? She's missing her friends. And you know, it. Kind it, it's, 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 it's kind of a sad story a little bit, but it's like, okay, Riri, you're gonna figure this out because you are a smart young lady. So the cool part of what she does though, she was working on her AI, and I'm not gonna give this away, but her AI is somebody that was special to her from her past and that was so dope because you know before her her AI was um Tony Stark and now it's this new character so it's really cool like this person's going to be with her all the time when she's out in the battlefield or in the lab working she's going to be right in her ear right there at all times so that was really really cool and I thought that was um just really awesome my evil you Ewing to put this in but like I said, you know, Eve does a great job of writing this story. The artwork is awesome. Uh, everything was just really cool about this opening issue. So I'm definitely gonna to continue to check this out. You know, Riri is a character I've been following for quite a while. And I'm just really interested in seeing what Miss Ewing does uh, with this story. So great job by those guys over at Marvel. So the last book that I'm gonna talk about is Gideon Falls. And this comes out of Image Comics. Now, it's written by Jeff Lemire, and the art is by Andrea Sorrentino. So, Gideon Falls is, um, this book is crazy as hell, man. Like, I'm not even going to lie, yo. Uh, it's, It's really, really good. And it's nine issues in now, eight or nine issues in. And basically, if you're into, like, stories with, like, drama, horror, and suspense, and all kinds of crazy twists and turns, this is essentially the the, the book for you, you know what I'm saying, like, I don't want to get into too much of like a review in the traditional sense, but I just want to like, you know, give you guys a few things, like, basically the story, the main character is this guy named, um, his last name is Sinclair, Norton Sinclair, and Norton is basically, he's a psych patient, you know what I'm saying? And he goes for his 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 therapy every week and he talks to his therapist and he gets things off his mind, but he's crazy. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, he does this thing where he goes and he travels out through around the city and stuff like that. And he picks up trash and he, he feels like these pieces of trash that he's picking up, like wood chips and nails and all kinds of stuff. He feels like it's pieces that are going to put together a barn that he keeps seeing in his mind. And the thing about Norton is he is very convincing. And he convinces his therapist like to believe that he might not be crazy because she starts to see things too, you know what I'm saying? She's basically getting pulled into this world with Norton. And it's it's crazy because you would, like sometimes you think therapists probably need to go see a therapist too. Well, this is that situation because she's being pulled into this, this world with her patient. And you have some other characters, like a a, a pastor who gets pulled into a town um, because the pastor that was there before, the reverend that was there before, he was killed. And it's just a lot of freaky, crazy things going on in this town, and you don't really know where this story is going to go. Like, sometimes when you read comics, you can kind of predict on, like, what's going to happen on the next page or what's going to happen in the next book. Gideon Falls doesn't do that. Like, Jeff Lemire has figured out a way to keep you on the edge of your seat, man. Like, and the artwork by uh, Sorrentino is just amazing, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, it's just, like, one of those, like, weird stories that something that you would watch on tv every week to find out like how this person got killed and where is where is this person's uh, thoughts going and it's just a crazy adventure just twists and turns all over the place and it's really just one of like the best books that's being written by image like i said i like independent books i like stories that don't always have uh a superhero coming in and saving the day i like horror stuff and things like that so like murder mystery stuff like that and this is definitely one of those things that fit into you know into my um favorites pile you know what i'm saying like it's been on my pull list since it's come out and it's a very popular book like i'm even hearing rumors that gideon falls is probably going to be picked up for either a show or a movie I'm not sure what network or production company is going to pick it up, or if they haven't already picked it up, but I do know that at some point down the line, this is going to be able to be watched on TV or on the big screen. So yeah, if if you're a collector of of books, Gideon Falls is definitely one you want to have in your collection, because the value of this book is probably going to go up. If you're someone that's not really reading comics, this is probably a cool book for you to start with. Uh, you're not gonna find the individual issues anymore. You are probably gonna have to get um, a trade paperback in order to read this, but it's very, very worth it. Like, I, it's just a really cool, freaky story, man. And you know, he just Jeff Lemire just does a great job of just dropping little, little hints in the book just to keep you coming back, man. So definitely go pick up Gideon Falls. Um, I'm gonna be diving deeper into this. Uh, and, you know, further down the line as far as what's actually happening in the book. But I want to give you guys a chance to kind of like catch up if if you do go out and read it. I don't want to spoil too much, like I said, but it's just so much that goes on in this story that I want to dive deep into it. But I want to give you guys a chance to enjoy this before I spoil stuff. You know what I'm saying? But, yeah, Gideon Falls, Jeff Lemire, uh, great job over there at Image Comics, you know, just doing a wonderful job so hurry up and go get this book so we can really dive into it all right so the next uh part we're going to be going into we're going to be diving into some music we got some new school we got some old school we got some classic stuff we just got some some dope music like i was listening to some fire stuff while i was reading these books so you know let's get into that and see you in a few peace what up, what up? It's your boy Amir, a.k.a. The Magic Man, and you're listening to my show, Paperbacks and Soundtracks. If you like what you hear, click the subscribe button. And if you really like what you hear, come follow me on Instagram and on Twitter, the Paperbacks and Soundtrack show. So I hope to see you around and enjoy the show. Peace. So we're gonna jump into this music thing, and when I when I read my comics, I like to play some music in the background, um, you know, just some random stuff, and just be going through my playlist and everything. And I came across this album from a boy from uh, Chicago, Common, and the album is called B, and it was just a, such a like underrated classic, yo. And it was produced by Kanye West, and it was released on. Uh, from the good music label, which is new to me, I didn't, I didn't know that. You know, at the time, I didn't know that Kanye was cooking up his own label at the time and it was putting out these just beastly albums. You know what I'm saying? Producing this dope stuff and just a little bit on Kanye. When people say they miss the old Kanye, it's like when you listen to this album, you actually do get an understanding of it like i appreciate kanye for the artist he is now but back then dude was a genius like just beautiful music that he would put together for dope artists like common you know and and common was definitely an underrated guy like they were calling him like the the Marvin Gaye of of rap you know what I'm saying like so he would give you like a lot of information and you know not too preachy but he would definitely be trying to give like a positive message to bring people out of where they were and sometimes that doesn't always resonate with everybody especially for me I was in high school at the time so getting ready to graduate high school so i wasn't mentally there yet but when i go back and listen to this album as a grown man now i understand everything that common was was trying to accomplish on this album like even that uh there was a quote that he said that he named the album b because he wanted to be in the moment he didn't want to try too hard he wanted to you know just be natural and just be uh just showcase the the core of a man that he is just show people that this is who i am and take it or leave it and he did a great job executing that on songs like the corner on a track called go which is one of my favorites at the time when i was in high school uh faithful testify which was a dope um, uh, music video, which was kind of crazy, you know, it kind of scared me at the time because of the story behind it, but I think, uh, Taraji P. Henson was in that video, so that was like, you know, we were seeing her, uh, starting to see her a lot, and it was just a really cool, uh, music video, and another track, one of my favorite songs, um, they say, by John uh, Legend and Kanye West, they were featured on the, on the track, and that's just one of my favorite joints man i love i love 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 that album but you know at the time common was competing with a lot of other big time rappers at the time like he had he was dealing with 50 cent who dropped his second album the massacre eminem who was cooking with encore uh the game who had dropped his debut album the documentary uh, T.I. was on the boards, you know what I'm saying, with Urban Legend, and Kanye West, he's, he had late registration down at that time, you know what I'm saying, so 2005 was was, uh, was a very beastly year for for like hip-hop music, you know, and Common kind of was under the radar, but he brought it, you know, and it's definitely a classic album to listen to and enjoy, you can play that album in any any type of situation, you know what I'm saying, it's just, he has everything on there, and I, I really enjoyed this album. So check check out Common, uh, his album, uh, B. Check that out. And I'm pretty sure that you won't be disappointed. So and the next album that I want to talk about is from one of my uh, favorite artists. Uh, it came out in 2009. And it's coming from Kid Cudi. And the album was called Man on the Moon. This was the first one. He did two parts. But this was the first one. And he was just vibing out on this album. This was another one that was pretty much overseen by um, Kanye West. And a bunch of other great producers were on this album, too. But, you know, it, it came out of, like, the good music camp and everything like that. And it's just this trippy, like, indie hip-hop, you know? Kid Cudi is, like like, a singing rapper, very melodic, just on this wave, yo, you know what I'm saying, like, you know, it is, like, he, he did it like his drugs and all that stuff uh, heavy at that time, so it was just really trippy, y'all, like, really, really trippy, but it was dope, because, at the age that I was at, at that time, you know, I was in a transition in life. So, you know, I was dealing with a lot of things, and this album came, and it was just like, wow, you know, you're listening to somebody's music, and they're talking about depression and anxiety and loneliness, but they're still like, yo, I'm still the man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm still going to make it no matter what the issues that I'm going through or how I'm feeling about life. Like, I'm still going to be the shit. And, it was just a fire album like I I I never seen anything like that before and it was just really cool uh to relate to and like the concept of the album is like Cuddy's giving us like this um it's like a play almost where it's like five different acts or whatever and it's essentially just Cuddy is in a dream state you know and he's giving us uh, music, uh, music that's just about his dreams in life, like, and he's talking about all his problems, he's talking about his love life, he's talking about becoming, like, the, the, you know, the king one day, you know what I'm saying, so, like, the tracks that he had on there were, like, like, Soundtrack to My Life was dope, um, Solo Dolo, Heart of a Lion, uh, My World, the single, the leading single was Day and Night. I wasn't really a big fan of that one, but then when I heard Pursuit of Happiness, I was like, yo, that's a fire track. So, you know, and that was a lot of people's like favorite songs, and even one where he had a song that he did with Kanye and Common called uh, Make Her Say. So, he definitely had a great mix of music on this album, and it kind of changed the way hip-hop was, um, the stories in hip-hop were told. People started becoming more real and telling real stories, you know what I'm saying? So, like, some of the albums that he had to compete with at that time were, like, Wale, um, Attention Deficit. Lil Wayne was still on a, on a run. He had put out No Ceilings, which was a mixtape. Drake had just popped on the scene uh, with So Far Gone, which was a mixtape. Jay Z was kind of like, "All right, Jay, like, where are you where are you going right now with Blueprint 3? A lot of people didn't feel that album, but he was still like the king of hip hop, so we couldn't say much, you know. And even Cuddy even worked on um, 808s and Heartbreak from uh, Kanye West. And that was another like game changer, but he was a big, big part of that album. So it's like, at that time you already saw what Kid Cudi's influence was gonna have on on the music world, you know? So, and he's just been doing his thing ever since. You know, Kid Cudi is—he's just a different type of dude, you know. And a lot of people try to copy his style, but nobody's ever gonna be like Kid Cudi, you know what I'm saying? So definitely um, check out all his music, yo. Just just look him up on whatever streaming service you're using, and just just get into to Cudi's world and, and check him out. Um, so the last guy that I listened to. The night I was reading my comics, I don't know what what I was on that night, but I was just I was just feeling the music, and it's an old school dude. His name is uh, Rick James, and I know a lot of people are probably laughing, like, "What? This guy's listening to Rick James?" But I had I had watched a documentary on uh, Rick James and kind of like his little story, and it was really cool. Like, it was like, all right, they're talking about this great artist. Who had all these hits, and but he was still like really uh, kind of like underrated because he came in a time where like he came in like right before Michael Jackson popped off and right before uh, Prince had popped off. You know what I'm saying? So he, and he was like bridging like disco, funk, and kind of like a little bit of rock. You know what I'm saying? Like he played the bass guitar, so he was just like in a transition area. And he was dope. You know what I'm saying? Like, he came out during a time where, like, Stevie Wonder was still cooking. You know what I'm saying? We had got a young Luther Vandross with, uh, you know, tracks like Never Too Much and Earth Wind the Fire was still on the rise with "Less Groove and uh, Cooling the Gang. Like, he was just in a really dope area. But my man was kind of like reigning king at the time. You know and he put this album out called um street songs you know in 1981 and i know a lot of these songs that were on this album but i did not know all these songs were on this album like so he put out this beastly album and you know he had give it to me baby on there ghetto life he had this song called mr policeman i didn't hear it before i never heard it before but it was it's a deep ass song man and but it's still groovy as hell you know so he's delivering a, a really strong message and he's making you sing so I mean making you dance so definitely check out that song because it's, a, it's some deep stuff going on with that song and then you even have tracks like Super Freak and one of my all time favorite songs Fire and Desire with Tina Marie, man. They just killed that song. I love it. So yeah, I was in there, I was in the groove, man. Rick James had me in here just feeling it, yo. With he was just you know, he was just kind of like a funk master, yo. Like I don't understand why he was so underrated, but at the same time was still kind of like the king. So I don't I don't really get all of that. Maybe it could be the drugs and stuff like that. And, you know, but, you know, his music was, yes, it had some drug influence in there, but it also had love, and it also had, like, that party music, and that bass line was just sick, yo. Like, Rick Rick was the man, yo. Now, when you listen to this music and you think about it, like, Rick was actually, like, the man. And I'm pretty sure all the OGs that are listening to this right now, Back in the day, I know y'all was partying really hard to Rick. So I, I'm not even mad at y'all. But, you know, that's that's it for today. You know what I'm saying? Um, some great music, some great books there for you guys to all check out. You know, and once again, just thank you for listening to the show. This is Paperbacks and Soundtracks. And I'm your boy, Amir, a.k.a. The Magic Man. And I'll see you next time.